once they have their money back in their pocket, at that point, we back in for 40%. They get 60% of that 40, we get 40% of the 40. It's Mark Yegi here, wealth architect and lifestyle investor. Let's take your life to the next level. Welcome to the Wealth Architect Podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Mark Yegi. Welcome to another edition of the Wealth Architect Podcast. We're about balanced abundance. So glad you're here. Our guest today is a third generation producer of American oil. He was born into this industry and he was basically raised in the oil business. As soon as he graduated high school, he funded his first partnership and never looked back. He's the senior VP of corporate operations at Panex. They have a main focus on the Gulf Coast and his companies have raised and deployed over $300 million in upstream development. Let's welcome RJ Burr. Hey, Mark. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Great to see you here. And, uh, you know, I love you're from Louisiana. I have a feeling you're all about Louisiana, aren't you? Oh, I, I love Louisiana. Now, my our company, that's where my family's originally from. It, it, it's funny because my dad grew up probably two hours from where our operations are right now. And uh, when he was a kid, his grandpa was passing away. He was at the very end. And my dad goes in. He's 19 years old, married to my mom, had two kids at this point. And my grandpa looks at him and says, Bob, when you leave here, Robert Dean, when you leave here, I want you to walk down that dirt road and look both ways. And then when you get home, I want you to pack that family up and you head to the lights, basically go to the big city. He said, this town holds nothing for you. Huh. And so my dad did that. He walked down the road. He looked. He told my mom they put the house up for sale. And so for all these years, my dad has essentially run from that place and, and trying to trying to chase his dreams. And I looked at him when we when we acquired the properties we had acquired over the last couple of years. I kind of looked at him and said, it's amazing how it comes full circle. You've been running from this place for 30, 40 years, and it all ended up your the fortune was right here at, at your home. Isn't that funny? Isn't that, that so, reminds me of that story, three feet from gold, about the person that was digging and mining and mining and digging. Absolutely. And then he uh, he just he quit, and it was all right there in front of him the whole time. So, um Great. Well, glad to have you here. And um, and I know, you know, just by looking at that poster in the back, and by the way, everybody, if you're just listening, uh, RJ has a poster of an oil well, it looks like. It's kind of cool at a sunset. It's actually kind of futuristic in a way, although I'm sure uh, it's- America-ish. Yeah, it's really cool. But anyway, good. Listen, so glad you're here. Listen, well, let's, talk, let's talk about what you guys do, I know you're in oil, and I know you pump that stuff out of the ground. You got, what, three, four generations of doing it? Yep. So you know what you're doing, and you and your brother are um, you know, the, 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 the family heirloom of this business. So tell us a little bit about how you got into it, how your dad got into it, and where you are today. Well, Mark, it's, uh, you know, some kids grow up watching their dads practice law, some watch them practice medicine. I, I watch my dad in the oil and gas business. Uh, this oh. is all I've ever done. Uh, he had me on a rig when I was seven years old, uh, made my first sale three months out of high school and, and haven't looked back. Uh, now, what we do that's a little different is back when I first got in the business, my dad wore every hat in the business. And, and as successful as he was, we realized that for a company to maximize what it can be, one guy can't do it all. There, there's too many moving parts when you're building an operation like this. And so what we did is we split the company up into two sides. The, the first side is the funding and the operation side. The second side is the field and the geological side. And so when I got in business, my, my first day at work, my dad sets me down at a desk, puts a big old phone book in front of me, hands me a script and sets the phone down and says, have fun. And so I was in the funding side. My brother's first day at the office, he went to the field. 
And uh, that's what we did for the next 20 years. We, we basically cut our teeth and, and sharpened our tools. I, I laughingly say we, we cut our teeth at the end of the J.R. Ewing era of oil. And so uh, <laughs> our, our first life in oil, as we, we, as we come to call it, ended when Marathon Oil bought my family's company. And uh, we entered into early retirement. I was uh, in my mid-30s, thought I was going to play on the PGA Tour. It took me a couple months to realize that I, uh, that was never going to happen. And, I had uh, that happen to me too. Don't worry. Yeah, it's, okay. it, it, it's one of those tough realizations. <laughs> I still got a shot to be a kicker in the NFL, but that's probably about it for professional sports, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I gave that kicking up years ago. I, I went actually went to Western Kentucky uh, University kicking, and uh, oh. it's amazing. I, I, believe, I do believe the good Lord gives everybody one or a couple of talents, and it's yeah. your job to find it. And one thing I could do was kick. I, I was really I – could, I could boom the ball. However, when I got to college, I was a quarterback my entire life. And when I got to college and I was I was just the kicker, so to speak, that was a hard transition for me. Sure. Because the kicker, really, you're not a part of the team until it's time to win the game. You yeah. know, you practice by yourself. And so it it was just one that I I, I didn't hee-haw with it. I, I, that's why I played ball. I love scoring touchdowns. I love getting hugs. I loved every bit of that. And uh, it's amazing when I hung up kicking, less than two years later, I tore my knee up. And uh, good Lord said, well, you're not going to use that talent. I'm going to take it from you. And, and so, you know, it, it was kind of a life lesson. Now, I did figure out how to keep score as an adult. That's about how much money I make my partners. And so w- once I figured out the game to play, I was in the right game and have never had to look anywhere else. That's it, everybody. Listen, this is this is some good wisdom. And it's not always about money here on the Wealth Architect podcast. It's about like what you do with your life and what makes you happy. And everybody has a genius. RJ says the same thing. And if you can find your genius, you're going to be a lot happier. And you're probably a lot better at it than what you might have thought your genius was if you were just pushing and pushing and pushing. And don't get me wrong. You got to work hard in, in life at some point. But at some point, it does become fairly effortless after you put in the time. Would you agree, RJ? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you love what you do, is it is it work? You know, right. I, I have I have four kids and uh, two boys, two girls, and my boys are of the age now of 23 and 20, where they're starting to experience the real world a little bit. And uh, I like that they're I like that they're thinking money and I like that they're thinking of how to how to build. And it's one that I don't want to bring them into the oil and gas business right off the bat. I want them to taste the real world for a little bit. Let, let's yeah. see what the real world is and understand dad's always going to be here when it's time to come to when it's time for you to come into the business. I'm still going to be here and it's, it's going to be time. But I want you to get out there and get your toe smashed a couple of times. I, I think honestly, not to sound like a turd, but I think every kid should have their lights cut off at least once. <laughs> that way they understand the consequences of it. And my son came up to me and said, Dad, if you were giving me advice on being successful, what would it be? Well, I said, I can tell you three things, babe. And I said, one, work hard. Two, work harder. Three, work the hardest. I said, what you got to do is find something you love doing that you can make money at. Don't waste your time. If you can't make money doing it, it's a, it's not a, it's a hobby. Yeah. I said, find something you love that you can make money doing at. And then if the talent's there, the only thing standing between you and the top of the mountain is hard work. Yeah, I said, nice. so just accept you're going to work harder than anybody else and then let the chips fall where they may. Because I, I love that so much because, you know, so, so often everybody's like, oh, follow your passion and, you know, do what you love. And all that's great and true. But, you know, uh, Robert Herjavec, one of the Shark Tank guys, I, I he was at a speech at an event that I hosted once. And he said his dad told him when he was growing up and he's one of the he's a billionaire, basically. He says, 
His dad told him, listen, when you can't pay the bills, you don't have the ability to follow your passion, right? Yeah. So you've got you've got to do some hard work to get to that point where you can follow your passion. So it's going to take some work for sure. So I, I, oh, I think that's a good that, lesson that people can learn. No, my, my dad said darn near the same thing. He, he said, boy, you think you have problems? Take all the money out of your bank account. Now you just yeah. multiplied your problems by 10. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's really, and, and, you know, I love old sayings because there's a reason they're up there old sayings. There's a lot of truth to them. And yeah. when you look at it, it's, you know, life is 99% about how you react to what happens. You know, yeah. that, that's just, it, it, it's, it's all your, how you perceive it, what you can control. You know, I tell my kids, control what you can control. If there's a problem in front of you, if there's some an issue, maybe not even a problem, if there's something in front of you that needs solving, have you done everything you can do at that moment? If the answer to that question is yes, you've done everything you can do, then turn over to God because there's nothing you can do about it. Now, if the conditions change in the future and there's something you can do, then you do it then. Yeah. But when you when you start worrying about something that there's nothing you can do about and you fret and you worry and you stress and you lose sleep and you don't eat meals, well, you know where you're going to be when you're done worrying? Right back where you were when you started. Same spot. So yeah. why? Yeah. You know, skip that Skip that part of the process. You don't have to. On, but so this now, to be honest direction. about it, have you done I, I, everything you can do? <laughs> exactly. I, this went in a different direction than I thought it was going to go. You know, I thought we we're going to be talking about pulling oil out of the ground. And here we are talking about life lessons. I feel like I'm talking to Zig Ziglar or somebody. This is great. <laughs> Um, why, why don't we why don't we digress a little bit and at least talk a little business but i think uh, interwoven in there are a lot of life lessons and i think you've probably picked up a lot of them now one of the questions i have is and, and this is probably back on that life lesson thing but is you know you got the business quote unquote handed to you right maybe you got it from your dad and you didn't have to work for it but i have a feeling that's not what happened i have a feeling just by listening to you you had to your dad didn't just give you it no, no. I mean, no, we had to, when, when we started Panax, we, we started with zero. I mean, in fact, our, we went over three on our first three wells. We missed the first three wells we drilled. Now yeah. they're, they're big rank wildcats, but uh, that, you know, it, this is oil and gas. If anybody tells you they're in oil and gas and they hadn't missed wells, they're lying to you. Well, let's and, talk uh, about that. Cause I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners and viewers know how the oil process works. So, you know, you do, so you kind of take it for granted that we all know, but maybe some of us don't know. I don't, I'm a Florida boy. Uh, you know, I don't know a lot about the oil and gas, but how does it work? I, go, I know you go out and drill and you do some exploration, but tell us about the inner workings of that. How often are you successful? Those kinds of things. Well, every, every area is different. You have different kinds of geological structures. Uh, we love salt domes. And so that's really where my focus is, is on salt domes. But you have shales, you have limestones, you have the pettit. I mean, you have so many different types of formations. But in basic general. If you have an area where there's no production around you and you go out and you're wanting to establish the production in that area, you're drilling a wildcat well, an exploratory well. Okay. Now, industry average, if you're the absolute best, you're going to hit maybe one out of 10 of those. Realistically, it's probably one out of 20. They're, they're really? ranked wildcats. Yeah. They're, you, you're trying to establish something that's never been produced before. Now, once you hit that well and you're drilling around it, you're drilling developmental wells. Now, those developmental wells, you're probably going to hit uh, anywhere from 60 to maybe 70, 75% of those. Now, what you're doing with those developmental wells, you're trying to define where your field is. Got it. Now, once you've defined that field, now you're drilling in-field developmental wells. You should hit 80, 90% of those. Now, huh. when it comes to earning money, 
My, my dad kind of has an old saying that, that you can get rich on a wildcat well, but you get wealthy developing the field. And, and so what, what we do, when we crank back up here, here seven years ago, it'll be eight years ago next July, and uh, we knew there was going to be an acquisition opportunity. And, and the reason we knew that, we were reading the lead, we were reading the market, and regardless of what you think about Trump, it's irrelevant. W what he did when we increased our production like we did he changed the power structure in oil. For, for the last 60, 70 years, OPEC has been basically the heart of oil prices. Sure. And when yeah. we started producing so much oil, we took that power. And what we saw happening is we saw OPEC and basically OPEC plus, Saudi Arabia and Russia, we saw them increasing production. Because what the little secret is, is most of those shale companies were highly leveraged, needing probably $50 a barrel just to pay their bills. Right. And so everything over 50 was profit. Well, what we saw was Russia and Saudi Arabia pushing those prices down to 40, 35, you know, just pushing the prices below where they're losing money. Well, the flip side of that secret is Russia and Saudi Arabia need $50 a barrel also. And so what we were betting is that they were engaging in essentially economic war against the shale industry to put some of those companies out of business. And so we sat here and watched all this happen. And when you look at economic crisis throughout American history and you string them together, in every crisis, there's normally a group of people that come out of the other side looking like geniuses. Yes. And when you look at each one of their stories, there's really only two common characteristics they share. The first is when the crash happened, they were liquid. They had cash in hand and they were able to move. The second is when their opportunity presented itself, they had the courage to push their chips in the middle of the table and make their move. And, and so that that's what we were getting ready for. We, we thought that we thought it'd probably take uh, 12 to 24 months to fully play out. But we knew there was probably going to be a good acquisition opportunity. Well, then COVID came. And while the trigger was different, the result was the same. And really, the, the biggest difference was it took what we thought would take a year and a half to two years and crunched it down into 30 days. And the effect of that market crash on April 20 really, I think, is the greatest story not told in the country because most people don't realize the damage it caused to the American oil industry. Because mm -hmm. if, if you went to the average average person and grabbed them and said, hey, how did the crash of oil prices hurt the oil industry? Most people would immediately go, eh, it's Exxon. They can handle it. It's Shell. They can handle it. Well, in truth, yeah, they could handle it. it. It hurt them, but they could handle it. But they're truly not the American oil industry. When, when you look at the production in America, 83% of your oil, 90% of your gas, and more than 90% of the wells drilled are drilled by roughly 9,000 companies that average 12 employees or less. Really? That's, your that's your independent producers in America. Mm -hmm. and, and when that market crashed, the first wave knocked out were your younger companies or your companies that were on shaky financial ground. Boom, immediately April 20th, they were out of business. Well, the next wave came a couple of months later when we sent everybody home for COVID. The companies that could pay their employees enough to get them back to the field, they made it. The companies that couldn't, they were next without a business signs in their door. And, and what that did is it created a condition in the oil patch that I haven't seen in my life. And, and what I mean by that, to build a major oil company, 100 million market cap on American oil for the last 50 years has been next to impossible. It, it's happened one time when two companies merged. And, and the reason is to build a company of that worth, you have to have the reserves. Well, to do that strictly on American oil, all of your build your company overnight fields have already been found. 
that they might they might find something down the road, but for the most part, your spindle tops are gone. So to do that, you have to string together a bunch of smaller discoveries. Very hard to do. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be successful. It doesn't mean you can't make your partners a lot of money. Heck, I love the industry. I wouldn't do anything else. However, to build a company of that size was next to impossible finding it on your own. Hmm. Well, the other route is buy it from somebody who's already found it. Well, back before the market crash, they knew what they had also. And, and so they were going to charge you an arm and a leg. So to acquire that many reserves was next to impossible also. Well, now that's not the case. You had a clearing of the playing field where there was an acquisition opportunity. Now you add to that the fact that worldwide upstream investment in oil has gone down roughly 70% over the last yeah. nine years from roughly a trillion to we're going to be lucky to get 300 billion this year. Then you look at the fact there's nothing to replace oil with. Doesn't, I mean, I believe all of us have a little environmentalist in them. I mean, I love a beautiful, nothing more than walking out of my front porch and looking at my front yard. I mean, I believe we all love a pretty environment. However, that's not what they're arguing. If they want to talk about the environment, ways to burn cleaner energy, well, they'd go natural gas nuclear. What are they doing? They're, they're pitching an idea where we got to pillage the earth like we never have before. Yeah. So hang on, you want to save the earth by pillaging it? So that let's just, well, that's a conversation for later. So when <laughs> you look at all the conditions, it's set up perfectly. But I, I was at CPAC earlier this year and, and I had this kid from PBS walk up to me. He said, you're the old guy, aren't you? No, I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you what do you think is going to happen with the oil industry and, and everybody wanting to get away from it? I said, good. Tell them to keep doing it. Tell them to scare all the people off. Tell them the ESG score. Get them facing the other way because you know what I'm going to do the entire time? I'm going to keep buying it. Because when the illusion busts, and it will, yep. eventually they're going to realize it's busting nothing. now, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it busting now? Yeah. I mean, they're just, uh, I mean, you just look at the shit. It's all it is simple math. Just yeah. simple math. Look how much it takes to charge a car. Look how much the average neighborhood produces in electricity and look at the infrastructure and the capabilities. Impossible. We'll crash every power grid in the country. When in truth, if we wanted to do it, economic, natural gas already has a grid. Yeah. You could put converters on most cars, run the natural gas to your garage. You don't want to have to go to the gas station. You fill it up at night. But that makes too much sense. You know, yeah. we, we, could we can run our most advanced nuclear subs on nuclear generation. And we can't do it. No. So they really don't want to save the environment. They want to do something else. And but once again, that's a different conversation. But when it boils down to it, the opportunity all of this created, and it's still open. I, I thought I thought the window had closed in 22. Uh, I thought adults would come back into the room and everybody ripped. However, we got a stalemate. And, and so as long as it's wide open, we're going to keep buying. Now, in, in the last three years, we've made 23 acquisitions. Okay. Uh, we've secured down near Baton Rouge, if you hear them, actually, when you hear them talk about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, we own all the mineral rights around it. We own roughly 3,000 acres worth of mineral rights around it, sitting on top of what we think to be about 100 million barrels of oil. And all right. So, so hang on. You, you've said a lot, and I want to unpack a little bit of it. First of all, okay. thanks for taking us through the exploratory phases of how you guys do your business. That's really interesting, and I have a follow-up question on that. But second of all, what I hear you saying is that there's still a lot of opportunity. For oh, companies like yours that are small, even for big companies, there's lots of opportunity out there because of the craziness that's going on with the ESG thing and the whole, you know, environmental movement. Uh, and I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. Whenever there's extremism, there's always opportunity. And when yeah. and the pendulum swings too far both ways, there'll be another period of time where you'll be like, okay, we're not a buyer anymore. We're a seller. 
but that's not here right now. So, uh, you know, I find that really interesting. So you're saying that there's a lot of opportunity, right, RJ? Oh, you're yeah. You're saying that yeah. we can look forward and, 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 and let's talk about that opportunity because what does that mean? So you go out and you raise some money. You raise money still, right? Mm-hmm. And so you raise that. money, what? How does somebody make money by investing in, in something that you pitch? Okay. Uh, prime example. Right now, we, we have a two-well drilling partnership. <clears throat> We're going in. We have one well that we drilled here about a year and a half ago. This well has 11 pay sands, over 300 feet of pay. It's currently producing about 100 barrels a day. Been doing it about a year and a half. Haven't touched it. Don't have a pump jack. But it's just natural flowing. Have not had to put a screen. We turned it on and it's gone. It's gone. So it makes it makes seventy thousand dollars a day, eighty thousand dollars a day gross, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, All right. and this well, with the with the amount of number of zones and the thickness of the sands, this well will probably produce for the next twenty five to forty years. Wow. And and I have partners that own forty percent of it. Now, what we'll do is we're coming in now and we're drilling a direct offset to it. Meaning the, the best geology you can get is closeology, getting as close as you can to a proven producer and drilling another one. And so with the first well being right here and us drilling another one right here, they won't pull from each other's zones. They won't let us face them. They make a space far enough apart they where they, huh? don't, okay. they don't commingle. And if the what, if the zones are in this well, they should be in this well. And so we're, we're basically just drilling another, another right next to it. And then okay. the second well in the partnership, we have uh, – on the other side of the field, we have a well that has, oh, about four pay sands, but it has one pay sand that has about 125 feet column of oil in it. I mean, it's the biggest pay sand I've ever hit. Well, huh. we're going to drill an offset to it. However, in the offset, we're going to be able to take it about 2,000 feet deeper. And there's another five pay sands that, and this is getting way in the weeds. We're, we're drilling off a well that was drilled in the mid-50s. We have the logs on all the wells in the field. And so this well in the 50s showed oil in those sands down deeper. And so we're going to take it down and test them. But they were there 60 years ago. They should still be there. In fact, every other every other well we've drilled out here that we've drilled off logs from wells that are 50 years old, we've got exactly what the log said because the oil was there 50. There's nowhere for it to go. And so what we do is we drill the wells. The partners invest in the drilling. Uh, you, let's just use a round number. Let's say 100,000. They put 100,000 in. Right yep. off the bat, it's a direct, direct participation program. Uncle Sam's going to pay for roughly a third of it. Uh, I'm not yep. a CPA, so everybody's going to vary a little bit. But it, it's roughly, it's a it's an above-line deduction against active income. Uh, basically, roughly 35000 is what your tax deduction will be. So you, okay. you essentially have 65000 at risk. And so okay. we go out, we drill the wells. We put the wells into production. And like on this partnership, the partners are buying 40% of the wells. Well, the partners will get 100% of that 40% until they have their at-risk money back in their pocket. It'll take anywhere from best case 12 months, worst case probably four, four and a half years. Okay. Once they have their money back in their pocket, at that point, we back in for 40%. They get 60% of that 40, we get 40% of the 40. So 24%, I think. Yeah, of what what the partnership purchased. Yes. Got it. And so then we split it for the life of the wells. And however they however long they produce, and a lot of these wells will produce anywhere from fifteen to thirty years. And so, best case scenario, let let's go out there and let let's say a gold goose flies on it flies over some poops gold on our head. We get everything we ever dreamed for. It'll make the partners ten fifteen to one on their money over a twenty twenty five year period. Fantastic. If if we miss the wells, which can happen, this is oil and gas. Now I don't think it'll happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't put the deal together. If we miss the wells, other than tax benefits, we lose every dollar. Now, yeah. realistic, realistic low side would be probably 
250,000 barrels per well, which in the grand scheme of it would make the partners about three to one after taxes. And I, so I, could that, back I, in, I could back into the numbers, but I'm just going to ask you, what's it cost to drill a well roughly on average? Uh, it, it can vary. depends on what goes on, but anywhere yeah. from 2 million to 4 million for these wells that okay. we're drilling. So it's that much. It okay. just, yeah. It just depends on, and now it's gone up. <laughs> the oil patch is not, uh, is not, uh, protected from inflation. It's gone up crazy here over the last, uh, last sure. two years. Probably oh, a well that would cost me 3 million last year is now probably costing four and a half. Wow. Okay. No, it's, it's right, let me ridiculous. let me ask you a question. So we got through some numbers there. Thank you for that. Let me ask you a question. When you drill for that oil, are you are you hitting old dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, I, I you hear so many different people argue over what it is that I just finally until until they can prove definitively they say, okay, this is exactly what it is. It's everybody's opinion. <laughs> I love it. A guy from the oil business going, look, I don't know. I just want to drill the oil. Um that's cool. Interesting. Um, and and everybody that you're listening and, and viewing, I want you to understand, if you're watching this right now, you're watching it on plastic. You're watching it on a, oh. on a, on a PC screen, on a phone. Uh, you're watching it on a TV. And those all have a predominant amount of plastic in them. If you drove somewhere today, you drove in something that has a predominant amount of plastic. Yeah, there might be metal under the hood, but there's a ton of plastic. Plastic all comes from petroleum, everybody. It's not that, you know, if you're looking at this through some glasses or some contact lenses, they're plastic. So don't be thinking that environmental, we're going to get rid of all the plastic and get rid of the oil. You can't. Like, it's it's a technology that's here to stay, and it's a good technology. Now, we might have some a few extra bottles on this earth floating around the oceans. That's a different issue than we produce plastic. So, but you know, let I just want to be realistic here that, you know, everybody talks about how oil is a bad thing, but we all use it. So if you want to stop using oil, you want to stop using plastic altogether, that's when you can start talking about getting off of oil. But until you're the person that stops using plastic 100%, I want you to just be quiet and listen to guys like RJ because he's a guy that's showing you how to make money from it. And it's something that's actually very useful and it's propelled our society a long, long way. Would you agree? Yeah, well, you you said something perfect. You actually said you made two points there that that just mirror what I tell my partners. And uh, I, I'm a I'm a movie buff. I love old movies, and one of my favorites is The Usual Suspects. And my one of my favorite quotes in it is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yes. And as you look at everything the environmentalist movement has done, you amend that quote a little bit. The greatest trick the environmentalist movement ever pulled was convincing the world oil was bad. Because when when you think about it and you do an honest, remove your emotion and just do an honest dive into it. Right. The modern world did not begin until we started producing oil. That's right. It, everything the modern world is built on is because of what oil has brought to the human society, to all of us. And, Even and so, solar panels. Yeah. You can't produce solar panels without oil, everybody. How no, about that I irony? Mean, well, we, I, I was sitting here, last, it was actually this time last year. I'm here early one morning, I'm planning out the end of the year, and I'm making a cup of coffee. And like I said, I've been in this business 30 years, and I'm sitting around the kitchen in the office, and I'm just kind of, and I don't know why I did it, because I haven't done it before then. And I was looking at everything in there, I said, well, that's made from oil. Well, that's made from oil. <laughs> and, and by the time I got done listing everything in the kitchen that was made from oil, I was shocked. Yeah. And I'm in the oil business. And so that kind of spurred, uh, dropped a little seed for an idea. And we were talking about our, our Panex Learn website. 
And the, we created a website, panx.us slash learn. And on that website, we created a, a little movie. It's about a five minute movie and it's called a morning without oil. And we basically, that's what came from that morning sitting back there. I, my thought was, well, if I've been in this business my whole life and I didn't realize that, how many people don't realize how interwoven oil is with everything we do? Oh my God, I got to see this movie. And, and so we, we start out with a modern couple waking up in the morning in their bed and I'm narrating it and they get out of bed and you say, well, hang on, we're going to do a morning without oil. So we got to restart this morning and they reverse and go back in their bed. And then all of a sudden the alarm clock's gone. Their sheets are gone. They're not, I mean, everything from oil is removed from the picture. And yeah. then you go to the bathroom, then you go to the kitchen and it's, we just kind of, we try to do it a little, a little humorous way, Good, yeah. but it, it makes a point, you know, look, understand that oil is what the modern world was built on. Now, when it comes to replace oil, yes, we'll come, if you want to look for innovation, if you want to burn it cleaner, if you want to do certain things of those, okay, well, some wizard of smart is going to come up with a way to do that. You don't eliminate the greatest source of energy we have because just go ask the Germans. I, I, I'm going to love to watch what happens this winter. Right. Is Germany going to go back to buying natural gas? Because remember last winter, they cut down all their forests to burn for firewood. So what are they going to do this year? Are they going to cut down their forest again? Or do you think the German people would rather buy natural gas from mean old Russia? I believe they'd rather buy natural gas. And, and what, what people don't really comprehend is that 17% of the world's population consumes 50% of the oil produced. Yeah. 80% of the world's population is just now beginning to use oil. Today, we are running about 10 to 15 million barrels a day short of what we consume versus what we produce. They expect that number to be close to 60 million by 2030. Well, what do you think is going to happen when those 80 million actually realize what oil does for their quality of life? Do you think that's going to have an increase or a decrease in demand? Because regardless of what you hear talking heads on TV, it, it makes me sick sometimes because they try to be the smartest person in the room and, and they try to say, oh, Stuff that you know isn't true, but just say it in a different way with a different term for it and try to make it something different. When it all boils down to supply and demand, yep. when you have a product that everybody in the world wants and there's not enough of it, the price is going to go up. Well, when I kind of look at it, I know that somebody is going to consolidate American oil. It, it, it's going to happen. The, the field is here and it's going to happen. Well, if somebody's going to do it anyway, doesn't it make sense for it to be people who actually care what happens to it? And then in the same breath for investors out there, well, let me ask you this. When you're sitting there filling up your pump, when you're at your truck and you're filling up and you see four, five, six dollars a gallon, doesn't it make wouldn't it make you feel better to know that you could be making a couple thousand bucks every month to offset that from producing it? Yeah. And so when, when all this started happening, I, I really I, I kind of had a moral crisis at the moment because I, I felt bad. I was like, hang on. We're making a killing. Everybody is hurting right now. And, and we're our partners are or we're making a killing. And I was a little torn up about it. You know, I, I, I felt like something should have been wrong. And then when I thought about, well, well, hang on. I'm in the I'm pay it too. Everybody here in the office, every one of my partners, we pay the exact same everybody else pays. And if we're one of the few people on the planet that can actually provide a little ray of sunlight in that area and actually get the flow of income coming the other way, oh, well, by God, no, I'll do that six days a week and twice on Sunday. 
And, and once I balanced my books on that and realized that what we were doing was a benefit to every partner that gets involved with us. Oh, at that point, there was no stop. We were, we were charging up the mountain. Didn't matter what was in front of us, we were going to keep going. RJ, we could talk forever, I have a feeling, um, because <laughs> you, we, we agree on stuff, especially with that shirt that you have in the back, which is the greatest running back of all time. <laughs> the Gators, so Emmett Smith is the greatest running back of all time, and I'm glad you, you see that. Um, anyway, listen, uh, how do people find out more about what you guys do? You, you, you I think you said panx.us forward slash learn, learn, which is that video. Yes. And I highly recommend you watch that video because, and I got to watch it, but how do people learn how to get involved with you? Because I have a feeling that there is a huge amount of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity in a lot of things. I'm a Bitcoin guy. There's opportunity in Bitcoin. There's opportunity in gold, although I don't think it's as much. There's opportunity in oil. Like you just laid out a beautiful plan and it's based on supply and demand. There's lots of opportunity in the world. And I don't care what everybody's talking about with the recession. Uh, there is an opportunity to make money in the oil business. So tell us how we can find out a little bit more about you, and then we'll say goodbye. All right. Well, you can email me directly. My, my email is rjburr at panx.us. That, that's probably the easiest way to reach me. Uh, I have the same same phone number that I've had since I got my very first cell phone. And uh, it, you know, it, and so that uh, the email address now, panx.us slash learn. That, that page was specifically designed for individuals that ne have never invested in oil before. We have a section in there called Oil and Gas 101 that's just basic oil understanding. Uh, we have a section in there called Oil and Gas 102, which, which are the tax benefits, where we lay out what they do and why their tax benefits are there. We have the Morning Without Oil video. But the main thing we have there, and once you, there's a place where you have to fill, you fill your name out. That's the gatekeeper to get in. And once you have the full page, we have about eight videos in there that I think the longest one's probably three minutes. And each one of those videos really... It answers who we are. Anytime a partner invests his money, there, there's three factors that have to be positive. The first is his responsibility, and that's the money. I can't tell them how much they have, and I can't tell them how much they can invest. Uh, we run Reg D 506Cs, basically means our partners have to be accredited. And yep. once you, once you, once I know that you're you're good money, then I won't worry about that factor again. Now it rests solely on me and my two factors. First and foremost is who are we? R.J. Burr, Bo Burr. Panics. Why, why are we the kind of people that you want to do business with? Because regardless of what I tell you I can do for you financially, if you don't see that I'm somebody you should believe what I'm saying, that's irrelevant. That's just numbers. That's what that page was, was designed for. When, when you nice. get through those videos, you'll know whether you want to keep talking to us or not. Now, at yeah. that point, if you see that we're the kind of people you want to hook up with, now we'll show you what we can do for you financially because we're good at what we do and we've been doing it a long time. And, uh, we love for heck. We love all questions. I, I tell my guys, I give them two guarantees. One, if you call me and I don't answer my phone, I will call you back before I go to bed. Two, if you ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, I guarantee I'll find the answer for you. Yeah, we can't we can't guarantee perfect results, but we can guarantee perfect effort. Well, RJ, thank you for your time and your wisdom. And I learned a lot today just uh, just listening to you talk about oil and and other life lessons. So uh, thank you for. Uh, being here on the Wealth Architect podcast. And if you want to get more of uh, RJ, we don't make financial recommendations on the show. We do do financial education. And I think this was a great, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes in financial education that uh, was valuable. So thanks again for being on the Wealth Architect podcast. Appreciate it. Oh, Mark, it was my pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you everybody for being here and listening and watching. And remember what I always say, never give up your power in your health, your wealth, or your time. Have a great day, everybody. See you next time. Take care. Hi, I'm Mark Yegi. 
Every new year brings hope, but have you ever made those resolutions and by February they're out the window? Yeah, me too. This coming January 13th and 14th, join me at Your Greatest Year. It's an online summit dedicated to setting you on a path to transformation, abundance, and growth. Make your resolutions a reality. Let's create magic together in 2024. Make 2024 your greatest year. To register, go to 2024yourgreatestyear.com. You've been listening to the Wealth Architect Podcast with Mark Yegi. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Share and tell your friends. See you soon.